Thanks for checking out the Vox Church podcast. We are so honored to have you join us, and we hope this message speaks to you in a powerful way. Learn more about Vox Church by visiting us online at voxchurch.org. Enjoy the message. Listen, before you get comfortable and get ready for that sermon, just stand to your feet, and if you're with a family member, give them a high five or uh, give them a hug because you can do that with family because you're together all the time. So give them a high five, give them a hug. That's the only place you can do that. And then, uh, and then you can find your spot on the couch. You can find your spot uh, around the table, wherever you might be today joining us and, uh, and get comfortable. Grab your Bible. We're going to be in the prophet Zechariah, Zechariah chapter nine, Palm Sunday today, a special day in the history of the church. Zechariah chapter nine, Verse nine is the text that God put on my heart to share with you today. And I really do believe that God's Holy Spirit has something special for you. Let's just encourage each other. Look at the person next to you. If you're with a family member or friend and tell them God has something special for you. Go ahead. Say it out loud. Encourage them with your words. God has something special for you. Zechariah nine, nine. Look at it with me. Rejoice greatly. O daughter of Zion shout aloud. O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, everybody say, behold, behold, your king is coming to you, righteous and having salvation is he, humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. If you want to jot some notes down today, I encourage you to. I think that this message is going to be one that really helps you get through and thrive in the midst of this challenging quarantine coronavirus season that we're all living through. The title of the sermon today is The Four Considers. The Four Considers. I know that that looks weird. The Four Considers. Would you pray with me and open your heart to Jesus? Jesus, thank you for your church. Thank you, God, for all of the people that have come from various parts of New England. Thank you for our Springfield location, for Stanford, for Hartford. God, for every location and how we're all in our homes today experiencing the presence of God. Lord, experiencing the nearness of Jesus. I pray that you would knit our church together in this difficult time where we are separated from physically gathering, I pray, Lord, that even now we would spiritually gather and that you would be in the midst of us today. And that, Lord, I pray that today there would be a shift. And, Lord, in Jesus' name, I prophesy over our church family and everybody who can hear my voice, and I loose a spirit of encouragement. I pray, God, for every discouraged soul. I pray for every person who feels isolated, for every person who is frustrated, for every person who is afraid. In the name of Jesus, Lord, even through this screen right now, I pray that today on Palm Sunday, you release a spirit of encouragement in Jesus' name. God's people said everywhere. Amen. Amen. You know, we're living in unprecedented times, right? Hearing about hospitals in crisis being overrun hearing about the consistent spread of the coronavirus, millions of people who have lost their job, all activities, sports events canceled, you know, so many changes uh, financially and structurally in our world. And of course, here we all are going to church in sweatpants, right? You can look to the person next to you, maybe they're wearing sweatpants, but uh, you know, uh, a lot is changing. It's, it's a strange season. And I think that all of us are experiencing it differently. It's an important to recognize that because for some of us, you know, it's just an extended time off of work and you're getting paid and it feels a little bit like vacation. You're getting ahead on chores and jobs around the house and that's, that's fine. But you know, for others of us, you know, it's very different. It's a, it's a huge frustration 
because your plans have been completely disrupted. You can no longer go on that vacation, no longer travel for that business opportunity. And it's difficult for some of us. You're battling sickness. We've had a number of people in our church that have tested positive for COVID-19. And so that is a reality that some of us are going through. And some of us are afraid that we've caught it, you know, that there's a fear around that or that you're at risk because maybe you're working in the medical field or maybe you're working in a place where, you know, it's still open at a grocery store or a convenience store, something like that. And you're at risk. And, and that is a, that is a stressful scenario to be in. Some of us are feeling panicked and afraid, afraid about the future. And of course, there are many of us that are feeling the financial implications of this, that you're not able to work, not able to get paid and trying to figure out how long is this going to go on for. And, and, you know, the natural response in the midst of this type of a time is fear and worry and panic. Those are the natural responses. But what we see in scripture is God constantly calling his people, not to a natural response, but to a supernatural response, right? That in the midst of hardship and tragedy and difficulty and trial, he tells us that there's something that he can give us from his spirit, hear me today, that enables you to transcend the natural response and respond supernaturally. And that's where we're going to go today, because I believe that God has that for us. You know, it's all over the Bible. It speaks in the scriptures about peace that surpasses understanding. Think about that peace that goes beyond what your brain can understand or joy unspeakable and full of glory. I love the passage in Hebrews chapter 10, where it describes the early church. Look at it with me. It says you suffered along with those in prison and joyfully, everybody say joyfully, you joyfully accepted the confiscation of your property because you knew that you yourselves had better and lasting possessions. Now, hold on a second, church. Let's just be real. Who joyfully accepts the confiscation of their property? That's crazy, right? Nobody joyfully accepts their property being taken from them by the Roman government. That's what was happening at the time. But see, the truth of the gospel, the truth that we're going to look at today, transcended their circumstance and enabled them to tap into an emotional response that was completely contrary to the circumstances that surrounded them. And I believe that today God is going to put upon you a spirit of encouragement that I know there's real things to be concerned about, real struggles that you're going through, real worries that you have to face this week. But in the midst of those things, God's going to give you a spirit of encouragement. In the midst of those things, God's going to give you a fresh sense of confidence and joy. He's going to give it to you right now in your living room as I speak in Jesus name. Go ahead and say it with me. Say, I receive a spirit of encouragement. Go ahead. I receive a spirit of encouragement. You know, for nearly over 2,000 years now, of course, we've celebrated Palm Sunday as a day where we remember the arrival of Jesus into Jerusalem, the great day that he came in on a donkey. And of course, this was prophesied many, many times by the prophets of old, hundreds of years before Christ ever entered the city. And one of the most famous prophets and the most famous prophecy is the prophet Jeremiah. In chapter 9, where he talks about this, and he wrote these words about 500 years before Jesus entered Jerusalem and was celebrated with palm branches, where people said, you know, Hosanna, Hosanna. And, and verse 9 begins with a challenging command. We're told in verse 9, rejoice greatly, rejoice greatly. Now, you have to understand that the people who were hearing Zechariah preach were at the time slaves to the king of Persia. And they were living in Jerusalem, but Jerusalem was in shambles. It was a mess. And here, the Hebrew writer tells them to rejoice. That Hebrew word is geol. Everybody say it with me. Geol. 
Giol means rejoice, rejoice. And the actual Hebrew word is a strange word. It means spin around under the influence of violent emotion. Now think about it. When's the last time you did that? Maybe at your sister's, you know, uh, uh, wedding or something like that. But the last time you just spun around with violent emotion on the inside. That's what we're describing here. Spin around. And as if that wasn't enough, the writer says, rejoice, spin around with violent emotion greatly. Do it a lot. Do it beyond. Do it to the highest degree. Now, this is strange because there is a profound disconnect between the command to spin around wildly and rejoice and the circumstances that they were actually living in in the moment. And so we hear that and you go, well, that's a nice idea, but it's unrealistic. Nobody celebrates in the midst of slavery. Nobody rejoices greatly in the midst of trial. It doesn't make any sense. How? How? When all around me there's frustration and limits and danger and hopelessness and fear. How? How could I possibly do that? And this is where the prophet introduces what we're going to call today, on Palm Sunday, the four considers. He introduces the four considers, four ways of thinking, four truths to consider that when internalized, elevate your heart above the trial and you find peace and even joy in the storm. Come on, if you're with somebody today, turn to them and say, I think you need the four considers. Come on, tell them, let's be real. I think you might need the four considers. So rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout aloud, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you, righteous, having salvation to see, humble, mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. Now, Zion, if you know your geography, was a hill where they eventually built the temple. And so it was a very sacred hill in Jerusalem. And of course, it's a prophetic picture of the church. The church is the Zion, the temple of God, the people of God, right? And in this first section of the text, he tells the daughter of Zion to rejoice and the daughter of Jerusalem to celebrate. And so twice he repeats the same word. You probably caught it, right? What was the word? The word was daughter. Daughter. He says it twice. Why is he calling these people daughter? Why is he telling them that they are the daughter? What does he want us to notice about our relationship to God? Well, in Matthew chapter 6, Jesus tells his disciples that he actually expects them to live a life that is free from worry. Doesn't that sound crazy? You can hear me today. You can live a life free from worry. That is an opportunity that you have. And in fact, he gives us the reasoning in Matthew chapter six, verse 26. Look at it with me. He says, look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap. How many of us are happy that birds are singing again? I'm so glad. When I hear birds tweeting in the morning, I'm like, thank you, Jesus. The springtime is coming. Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store in barns. Check this out. And yet your heavenly father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they. Now, let me ask you something. Honestly, when's the last time you paid attention to a bird? When's the last time you took time to consider a bird? Did you know that birds require a ridiculous amount of food in order to survive in proportion to their body? That many birds actually eat two times their body weight a day in food. Now that's crazy. If you were to eat two times your body weight a day, just to give you a visual of this, that is the equivalent to eating 120 Chipotle burritos a day. 
Now, I don't know about you. I can barely finish a Chipotle burrito, let alone 120 a day. That's how much birds are eating. There's a reason why Jesus picked birds for his illustration. They don't store their food anywhere. They don't plant crops. They don't even plan their next meal. What do they do? They just wake up and God provides. God provides. And they are the most aggressive eaters in the animal kingdom, eating twice their body weight a day. Now, there are over 400 billion birds on planet Earth. And let me ask you a question. When is the last time you saw a malnourished bird? A malnourished bird. I don't think I've ever seen one. This is Jesus's reasoning. He says, listen, there are birds that God feeds every single day and they have no plan and no future mapped out. And he says, but here's the secret. Your heavenly father feeds them. Did you notice whose heavenly father he mentions? Yours. And he says this, you hear me today. Oh, the spirit of God wants to get inside you, wake you up, stir you up right now. You are far more valuable than the birds. And so the first thing he says is rejoice, daughter of Zion. Why does he call him daughter? Because he wants you to remember that God's your dad. And so consider number one, consider your father. Consider your father. Consider who your father is. Consider what your father has promised. I love Isaiah 49. It says it like this. Can a mother forget the baby of her breast and have no compassion on the children she has born? Though she may forget I, come on, somebody better underline this, star it, circle it, because it's going to get you through the week. I will not forget you. See, I have engraved you on the palm of my hands. I love that. I've engraved you on the palm of my hands. Really? Really? You engraved me on the palm of your hands? Actually, yes. He wasn't kidding. Because in John chapter 20, it says this. Then he said to Thomas, put your finger here. See my hands. Reach out your hand and put it into my side. Stop doubting and believe. In other words, on the cross, Jesus really did engrave you on the palm of his hands. He's not going to forget you. He's not going to overlook you. He knows exactly that financial issue you're going through. He knows that you had to lay off your employees. He knows that you're not sure about insurance right now. He knows that your bank account is looking lower than you expected. He knows about those stocks that you lost. He knows about every detail of your life. Are you not more important than the birds? Your father, consider your father, O daughter of Zion. Consider your father. So important. He says, rejoice. Shout aloud, O daughter of Zion. Behold, your king is coming. Say it out loud. My king is coming. My king is coming. Now, every year, my wife and I, we plan a getaway. And we have four children. We love them dearly. But all year long, we look forward to our little getaway without the kids. Come on, somebody say amen, right? Amen, especially all of us parents who are trapped in our house 24-7 with our wonderful, amazing kids, right? Uh, we would love a getaway right now. But we, we start a countdown. Every year we do this. Usually in October, November, we'll book the getaway for February. We got it in this year before all this happened. But, but you know, uh, we, we started in October, November, we start the countdown, like, you know, 75 days until we get away, you know, 62 days, 38 days, and we count down every single day. You know, I believe the human psyche needs something to look forward to. We all need something to look forward to. And here in Zechariah, he says, the king is coming. The king is coming. And we know that Jesus, the king did come, but the scripture again and again emphasizes this truth that the king who came is also the king who is 
to come. When the disciples saw Jesus rise from the dead and then ascend into heaven, the angels spoke to the disciples in Acts chapter 1, verse 11 and said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand here looking into the sky? This same Jesus who's been taken from you into heaven, look at these words because these are important for your soul, will come back in the same way you have seen him go into heaven. Now let me ask you a question. Has the truth of Christ's return deeply affected the way that you live? Because this is how the book ends in Revelation 21. It says, I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, look, God's dwelling place is now among people. He will dwell with them. They'll be his people and God himself will be with them and be their God. He'll wipe away every tear from their eyes. There'll be no more death or mourning or crying or pain for the old order of things has passed away. He was seated on the throne, said to him, behold, I'm making everything new. Do you believe that? Because if you do, our present circumstance should not surprise you. In fact, what's happening right now is talked about in the Bible. In 2 Timothy chapter 3, we're told this, but understand this, in the last days, there will come times of difficulty. Would that describe our current scenario on planet Earth? Times of difficulty? Jesus got more specific in Luke 21. He said to them, nation will rise against nation, kingdom against kingdom. There will be great earthquakes. You know, Idaho just had an earthquake last week, uh, or maybe two weeks ago, I'm not sure. It was pretty recently, 6.5, huge earthquake in various places, in famines and pestilences. Did you know that all across Africa right now, there are locusts devouring hundreds of thousands of acres of crops and farmland? Of course, we're dealing across the globe with this pandemic, this coronavirus. This is real. If you take a few minutes and read the news, you are literally reading the prophecies spoken by Jesus, and Jesus called them birth pains, okay? Now, if you've ever been with a woman when she had a baby, or if you are a woman who's had a baby, Baby, you know that birth pains ebb and flow, but once they get going, it is evidence that it's just about time for the baby to come. Jesus says, when you see these things, understand that these are birth pains, that the time is drawing nigh, that the time is coming near, that now is a time to remember what I've said. And don't be afraid because even in the midst of the trial, even in the midst of the change, even in the midst of death, this isn't the end. This isn't the end of the road for all. All those who have trusted in Christ. Look at 1 Thessalonians 4. But we do not want you to be uninformed, brothers, about those who are asleep, that you may not grieve as others do who have no hope. For since we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so through Jesus, God will bring with them those who've fallen asleep. For this we declare to you by word from the Lord, that we who are alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord, will not precede those who have fallen asleep. Listen to these words. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a cry of command, with the voice of an archangel, with the sound of the mighty trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up together with them in the clouds and meet the Lord in the air. So we'll always be with the Lord. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. Your first consider is consider your father, but your second consider is just as important. Consider your future. Consider your future. Think about it. Believe it. Trust it. You can't control how many days you live. You can't control ultimately if you get the coronavirus or not. Certainly you can take precautions and you should. But at the end of the day, there are so many things you are not in control over. But you can trust Christ. You can rest in him knowing that the future with him is secure. I love that scene in the Lord of the Rings where the little, uh, little fearful Pippin is sitting with Gandalf 
and they're watching a great army approach and they're afraid. And he says, Pippin says, I didn't think it would end this way. And Gandalf replies, end? No, the journey doesn't end here. Death is just another path, one that we all must take. The gray rain curtain of this world rolls back and all turns to silver glass. And then you see it. Pippin replies, what, Gandalf? See what? Gandalf says, white shores and beyond. A far green country under a swift sunrise. And Pippin replies, well, that isn't so bad. Consider your future. Consider your future. Regrace, rejoice oh, great, greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout aloud, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you. Look at this. Righteous having salvation is he humble, mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. That's two considers. Now notice the way that the Messiah is described in this text. We're told that he's going to ride in on a baby donkey. Now, this is a strange picture for many of us because it's not at all the picture that we think of when a king enters a city, right? You think of like, you know, Aladdin, Prince Ali. He comes in with all the fanfare and everything else. There's an old story about George Washington after the end of the Revolutionary War that he went from city to city riding on a great white horse, except he didn't actually ride on the white horse. He came in on a carriage and right outside the city, he got on the horse and galloped into town and then got off the horse after he got through town and went back in the carriage and rode to the next town and then got back on the horse and galloped into town. And he did it city after city after city because people wanted to see the president riding in on a white horse. You know, we expect a big entrance, some big to do, but here the savior of the world comes in on a donkey, a baby donkey. And this is interesting because it's so important for us to grasp this today, that the God of the Bible often does exactly what you least expect. He often does exactly what you least expect. He blesses an old man named Abraham who has no kids and calls him a father of the nation. He chooses Rahab, a prostitute, to be in the lineage of Jesus. He picks Moses, who has a speech impediment, to be his great voice to the world. The Messiah is born in a manger. He lives in obscurity for 30 years. He keeps healing people through the Gospels, and then he keeps telling them not to tell anyone. I mean, all these things that he does. And finally, he enters the city of Jerusalem for his big reveal on a donkey's baby. Everyone thought he came to overthrow Rome, but he in fact came to overthrow sin. See, if God's going to get that spirit of encouragement inside of you today, you've got to consider your father, consider your future, and then consider his ways. That's the third. Consider. Consider his ways. Consider that he's not going to do it the way you thought. Consider that promotion from him doesn't look like you expect. And so you look at your situation right now. You made this great business plan. I'm talking to you right now. You made this great business plan. You had it all ma mapped out and outlined, and now it's all ashes. It's all falling apart. It's all a mess. It's not at all what you thought. Or you had this whole plan for your life. I was going to get married here. We were going to get a house. We we're going to do this. And now the whole thing is in shambles. All of it's broken up. You have all these challenges and on the outside, you'd say, God, why have you left me? Why have you let this happen? Friends, his ways never go the way you expect. You've got to consider that he's the God that rides in on a donkey. He's the God that always does it the unexpected way. He's the God that does not follow what we think we need. You know, just this past week, my son, my six-year-old, he was like, Daddy, Daddy, can I play Xbox? Can I play Xbox? Can I play Xbox? Can I play Xbox? You know, I'm sure maybe some of us have that situation going on at home. And he was so grouchy and so, so grumpy, I actually made him take a nap. He's six, he doesn't like to take naps. And he was so upset about it. He was so heartbroken. Dad, how dare you make me take a nap right now? But he woke up an hour later from that nap 
happy in Jesus' name. See, there are the felt needs and there are the root needs. His felt need was Xbox, but his root need was a nap. And oftentimes in life, we go to God with our felt needs and he meets our root need. He gives us the nap we need when we thought we just wanted some Xbox time. And although God may be stripping things away or allowing your plans to crumble right now, hear me, hear me. That doesn't mean he's forsaken you. That doesn't mean he's forgotten you. Be encouraged because his ways are higher than our ways. And so consider your father, consider your future, consider his ways. But maybe the most obvious thing about this text, which is going to lead us to the fourth consider, is the simple truth that Jesus fulfilled this prophecy. That this prophecy speaks of a coming king who would ride in this awkward way on a donkey and Jesus did it. In fact, he did it exactly and precisely as it was predicted because before Zechariah ever came and gave this prophetic word, the prophet Daniel, even before Zechariah, told us about a coming Messiah in Daniel 25, 9, verse 25. Let me read it to you. Daniel chapter 9, verse 25. Now listen and understand. Come on, look at the person next to you and say, listen, 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 listen. Now listen and understand. Seven sets of seven plus 62 sets of seven will pass from the time the command is given to rebuild Jerusalem until the ruler, anointed one comes. Jerusalem will be rebuilt with streets and strong defenses despite the perilous times. Everybody understand? We're good? We got that? (laughs) No, most of us read that and go, "I, I don't understand. Let me explain it. Daniel prophesied right around 600 BC. That's when they wrote down that prophetic word. Now in 445 BC, the command was given just as he told that it would be to rebuild Jerusalem. It was given by the king of Persia in 445 BC. That started the clock. And then we're told from that moment that the command was given, he says there's going to be seven sets of seven and then 62 sets of seven. Now, if you do the math, seven sets of seven and 62 sets of seven is 173,880 days, all right? Now, they were following at that time a Babylonian calendar, which had 360 days, not 365 days like we have now. And so, if you take the 173,880 days you turn into years, it totals 483 years. That brings us, if you go from the moment the king gave the command to rebuild Jerusalem and you add to it 483 years, it brings us to the date, April 6, 32 AD, which is the exact date historians believed Jesus of Nazareth came into the city of Jerusalem riding on a donkey. Now, is that a coincidence? Of course it's not a coincidence. God worked it all exactly as his prophets foretold. In fact, the Old Testament gives over 300 specific prophecies about Jesus the Messiah. One mathematician took just 38 of those prophecies and found that for one person to fulfill the 38 prophecies he chose, the probability of that fulfillment is 1 in 10 to the 157th power. That is statistically impossible, and yet Jesus of Nazareth fulfilled every single one of the 300-plus prophecies. So what does that mean for your life right now as you live in quarantine, struggle with fears, battle with worry, deal with your kids, on and on and on? What does it mean? It means if you consider your future, your father, you consider his ways, and then you consider his record, you begin to realize, hear me right now, That the God who was so specific to provide the exact moment in time, 483 years later, seven, seven, 62 sevens, all so that in a moment, Jesus could ride in on a donkey's colt. If he's the God who can be so into the details, if he's the God that feeds every sparrow 
in the forest. If this is all real and you begin to consider his record, there is only one conclusion. Hear me right now. Hear me because you need to hear this. He has not abandoned you. He has not overlooked you. He has not forgotten you. And he has not forsaken you. Consider his record. Over 7,000 promises. Not one has failed. He's not about to start with you. Consider. Consider. Consider Isaiah 43. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And through the rivers, they shall not overwhelm you. When you walk, oh, somebody right now, somebody, when you walk through fire, you shall not be burned. And the flames shall not consume you. That's a promise. That's a promise. It belongs to you. Consider your father, your future, his ways, and his record. And as you do, encouragement takes root in your heart and new hope is born. And you can even begin to rejoice in the trial. Would you do something with me right now on your couch, in your living room, wherever you are? Wherever you are right now, would you do something with me? Would you close your eyes? Come on, just do this with me. Close your eyes. Close your eyes. Close your eyes. Close your eyes. Come on, do it with me. Every single person, close your eyes. Close your eyes. I want to talk to you first about the simple truth of Jesus. Have you considered Jesus with your eyes closed right now and your heart open? Have you considered Jesus? Have you considered who he is and what he's done for you? Have you trusted him with your life and turned the keys of your heart over to him? Do you know that he came so that he could die? He came so that he could take your place, pay for your sin, make you right before God, give you his perfect record, rise from the dead so he could put his living spirit in you and give you eternal life and hope and peace that you would live long after this body decayed. Did you know that it's all true? Did you know that he actually loves you like that? And that he's calling you right now through this screen. He's calling you right now through my voice. And all you have to do is look to him and be saved. All you have to do is place your faith in him, turn from self, turn from sin, trust his cross and receive his grace. Hope will fill your heart right now. If you're here today and you can hear my voice, place your trust in Christ. Not halfway, not 75%, 100% right now, place your trust in Christ. I want to lead you in a simple prayer of surrender. Would you pray it with me now? If you're here, you can hear my voice and you're far from God. Do not leave this service together online far from God. Instead, draw near to him by faith in Christ. Right now, pray with me. Say, Lord Jesus, save me. Go ahead, say it out loud. Right in your living room, right where you are in your bedroom. Lord Jesus, save me. Today, I surrender my life. I give you my sin. I give you control. Please forgive me. Wash away my sin. Ask him. Fill me with the Holy Spirit. Right now, I trust you. Amen. Amen. Our pastors are standing by to pray with you. 
You can do that on any of our platforms, on any of our streams. There'll be information on the screen about where to go and what to do. It would really be our privilege to pray with you. If you just prayed that prayer, trusted Christ, please, please make sure you connect with somebody online today so that we can help you along the journey of trusting Jesus. It's the most important decision you'll ever make. Before I let you go, I wanna to talk to every single person that can hear my voice. And I'm gonna ask you to do something maybe a little uncomfortable. Wherever you are, just stand up. Wherever you are right now, just stand up. Stand up, just shake it out. Stand up and just lift up your hands like this. Right there in your bedroom, right there in your living room, just lift up your hands like this. I wanna pray for you because I believe that the Holy Spirit wants to give you encouragement right now. He wants to give you encouragement as you consider, as you consider the truths that we've meditated on this Palm Sunday. I believe that there is a fresh filling of the Holy Spirit for you right now. So right now, just lift up your hands and close your eyes. Let me pray for you right where you are. Right now, with your heart open, your hands up, consider your father. Right now, he's your father. He's not some distant, abstract concept. He is your father. He loves you. He keeps track of every nuance of your life. Right now, consider your future. He has a home in heaven for you. Death can't stop that. Nothing can stop that. Consider your future. Right now, consider his ways. He never does it the way you expect. He never does it the way you can conceive. He always has a plan that you can't fully see, but you can fully trust. Consider his ways and consider his record. He's 100 out of 100. He has never failed. He has never forsaken. Consider it now. Father, in the name of Jesus, as we consider these four truths, I pray that hope would rise. I pray that encouragement would rise. I pray that this family that is listening right now would experience a peace in the midst of the trial. I pray that the arguing that's been going on in the home would subside in Jesus' name and a new grace for one another would grow. I pray that that person who feels isolated and alone right now would be encouraged by the presence of the Lord. I pray for that worker right now that's going into harm way day after day when they go to work. I pray in Jesus' name for encouragement and strength right now. I pray for the person who is sick. Be healed in the name of Jesus. Receive the life and the encouragement, the health of God right now. Father, I pray in Jesus' name, would you minister right through this screen to your people right now. Right now, Father, I pray, fill your church with encouragement in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. And I bless you in the name of the Father of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. We're going to conclude our service today on Palm Sunday. God bless you. Hope to see you Wednesday. Hope to see you for Good Friday. Hope to see you for Easter Sunday. Stay connected. Stay in community. God bless you today. In Jesus' name. Amen. Fox Church seeks to reach New England and beyond with the life-transforming message of Jesus. If you have been impacted by this message, or the ministry of Vox Church, you can continue to help us reach others by giving today at voxchurch.org forward slash give. For more information on how to get involved, visit us online or on any social media platform at vox.church. We always appreciate you taking the time to rate or review this message on iTunes. Thanks again for listening to the Vox Church podcast.